0: Good morning. I want to welcome all of you to Redeemer Baptist Church. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Chris, and I am the lead pastor here. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. That's the third gospel right there at the beginning of the New Testament. We're going to be looking at a couple of different passages from the life of Jesus, three different stories that he tells in two different passages uh, about the subject, the invitation. That he has for us to come to him, particularly in prayer. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, and Luke 18, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Now, you can follow along in your own copy of God's Word. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, if you go to the bottom right hand corner, hit the More function, and then hit Events, you should be able to geolocate onto Redeemer Baptist Church and get all of today's message notes. And of course, you can follow along on the screen behind me as well throughout the message as we read and study God's Word together. So let's read from Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. We'll read through verse 13. And he, Jesus, said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And now we're going to read from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable... I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And this is God's holy, inerrant, eternal, and amazing word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. Over the last few weeks, we've been trying to work through the idea of what it means to recognize the reality that God wants us to come to Him in all of life. That's his focus. His desire is for us to be brought into relationship with him. So we've seen that God is inviting us to come to him, not when we have our act together, not when we have all the answers, not when we aren't tired, but rather God wants us to come to him when we are weary And when we are heavily burdened. He wants us to come to Him when we are thirsty and recognizing that life isn't satisfying us no matter how much we have or how successful we are. God's inviting us to come to Him with all of our hungers, including our spiritual hungers, and that He wants us to come to Him and find there that He alone is the great satisfying feast that can feed our soul deeply and profoundly so we've looked through all of those realities we've also seen that there's an a way to come to god and that is to come to him both childlike and in faith. That God wants us to come before Him, not full of our own knowledge and pride, but in humility and independence like a child. He wants us to come and He wants us to believe that He is a good God who loves to answer the prayers of His people. All right? Now, With that context, we've been studying all of that through the words of Jesus, the invitations of Jesus, and here in the passages, the stories that I read today, Jesus tells us three different stories, three different illustrations that He uses, and each of them has a point about how He wants us to come to Him. He wants us, in fact, we'll see today, to come to Him often, to come to Him boldly, and to come to Him expectantly. So let's kind of use that as our guide today. So what does it mean for us to come to God often? It's, it's not difficult. The illustration is, is not too complicated. I think almost anyone can understand. Jesus told a story about a widow who came to a judge. She had a case that she needed help with, and, and she cried out to the judge repeatedly saying to him, give me justice against my adversary. She is longing for things to be made right. Have you ever recognized the reality that the world you're living in is broken? right? We, we have broken systems. We, and it doesn't matter how great your country is, folks. You know, we need to recognize that in every country there are broken systems of justice. There are broken systems that require us to, to deal with them. But there's also interpersonal brokenness. There's, there's spiritual brokenness. And so this woman is crying out for justice to be done, right? And so the judge though he's he's not righteous he's not a good judge he's a bad judge so for a while he just ignores this widow woman who comes to him crying out for justice right but she keeps coming anyway. She keeps bugging him. And so it, the, that's literally what the Bible says. is the, the widow keeps bothering him, right? Isn't that crazy? So she won't leave him alone. And so finally he says, listen, I don't respect God. I don't respect man. But I, I am going to give this widow what she wants so she'll stop bugging me. Okay? Now that's the story. So what's the explanation that Jesus gives us? And that is this, that God is just. He's not like the unjust judge. He is a just God who wants to do good. He's in the business of redeeming and fixing the broken world in which we live. We broke it and he's the God who's in the business of fixing it, right? So that God who's in the business of fixing this broken world, he delights in answering the persistent prayer of his people so Jesus wants us to hear listen if, if a widow woman who is in a broken world, if she can, can expect that through persistence she can wear down an unjust judge, how much more should a believer who is seeking to walk in obedience and righteousness before a holy God, expect that God to answer. And so we should come persistently, right? And in fact, that's the explanation Jesus gives. If you look in Luke 18, 6, this is exactly what he says. He uses kind of what theologians and scholars call a lesser than to greater than illustration. He's like, if an unrighteous judge will do this, how much more will a righteous judge, a good God, answer the prayers of his people? So he says, if the unrighteous judge said this... Will not God, who is holy and just and good, give to his elect, that's his people, that he's called to himself, will he answer them when they cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? And here's what Jesus says, I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. So if that's the illustration By the way, each of these is going to have an illustration, an explanation, and an application. The application that Jesus gives is this. So what does that mean for you and me? Ask God persistently. Stay before the throne of God in prayer. In fact, if you go back a few verses that we didn't read, if you go to Luke 18, 1 there, or I'm sorry, we did read this passage. You see that at the beginning of that passage, Jesus says, I'm telling you this story so that you will always pray and not lose heart. Have you ever asked God for something and prayed for it and then lost heart that God's actually going to do it? Listen, I've, I've got friends that I've been praying for For 10 and 12 years, Uh, this last couple of weeks, I've seen God answer a prayer that I started praying over 20 years ago when unreached people groups started hearing the gospel with a national Indonesian team in East Indonesia, and I started praying for that specific unreached people group 23 years ago. So let me ask you something. Have you ever lost heart in prayer? I have. I've given up. And maybe the problem is that I've given up too quickly. And Jesus is trying to fight. Our understanding, our way of going, well, if I, didn't, if I didn't see God work the first time or the second time or even the third or the fourth or the fifth time that I asked Him, then God must not be doing something. And our assumption is that God is not at work. And over and over again, Scripture wants to counter that mentality and say, come often to your God. So we find passages like this, Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient, be patient. Remember, God's time frame for working things out is often, it seems quick to Him, it's long to us, right? Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. You know, I, I want to encourage you, you heard the announcement earlier, if you haven't yet read Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, we'd love to get you a copy of it and give you that. Or you could go to the seminar that, that uh, Covenant Presbyterian has graciously invited us to participate in. We work together on a number of projects and, and uh, come, it's next weekend. The idea that all of life for a believer should integrate prayer. Have prayer in the middle of it. It's an important concept. So what does it mean to be constant in prayer? To be faithfully bringing before God the things that are on our heart and in our life. Uh, Ephesians 6.18 puts it this way. Praying at all times in the Spirit, we should be praying with all prayer and supplication. We are to that end keep alert with all perseverance, not giving up, making supplication, or bringing all of our prayers for the saints to God. Flip farther in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Are you beginning to pick up on the theme here? right? Over and over again. I want you to see it's not just Jesus telling a cute story. All of Scripture is inviting you to be steadfast in your prayer. Most famously, this is a great Scripture verse to memorize, by the way, because it's really difficult, right? Uh, Three words, pray without ceasing. (laughs) Don't stop praying, right? You know, It's not don't stop believing, it's don't stop praying. (laughs) Now, we're going to talk about don't stop believing here, but right now, just focus on this, right? Don't stop praying. Pray without ceasing. So we've seen the illustration, we've seen this, this explanation. We've seen the, the application here of this story, right? Let's talk about how this, I mean, this principle is exemplified. What does it look like for us to see this? And this is important, because one of the concepts that I think we so often have to realize is that the Christian life is caught more than it is taught. We catch it from people who are doing the things that God has called them to do, right? And we have so many great examples that Scripture calls us to be like. Be like the psalmist. If you read, open up your Bible in the middle. You'll hear all of these prayers of the people. And one of the psalmists writes this, I call to God, the Lord will save me evening morning and at noon I utter my complaints I'm honest I'm like the widow I pour out my heart to God my brokenness and I moan and he hears my voice so be like the psalmist right but not just like the psalmist be like the prophets you know people find themselves in times of crisis and then they turn to God in prayer right And that's a good thing. You should go to God when you're in crisis. The prophet Daniel found himself in trouble because he was doing righteous things and unrighteous men didn't like it. So what's his response to that? Well, scripture says that he went back to his house. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed even when that was forbidden for him to do. Now, the interesting thing there I want you to catch though is the next part that we highlighted in blue there. It wasn't something new. He had done this previously. Daniel already had a pattern of praying evening and morning and and noon, right? He's praying all the time. This is not something new in his life. He didn't wait till a crisis happened. But through the crisis, he continued the pattern that he already had of praying often. Jesus prayed often. If anyone, you go, man, you know, the the truth is, many of us don't pray because we don't think we need God. I don't need God. God, I got today, you know, maybe tomorrow seems like there's going to be a few problems. I'll come and pray to you tomorrow when I got problems, right? Listen, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, if you look at his life, it's marked by prayer, He's constantly withdrawing off by himself often to pray. How long did he pray? Well, sometimes all night long he would continue in prayer. And that's after a day of exhausting ministry and before another day of exhausting ministry. And you see this pattern in the early church as well amongst the apostles. One of the first things we have recorded after the resurrection of Jesus, as the disciples are waiting to see God at work in this world, what do we find them doing? Devoting themselves to prayer. Right? Not just half-baked prayers, devoting themselves to prayer. So, here's the thing I want you to grab right here. How often does God want you to come to Him? Always, now, this afternoon, tomorrow, he wants you to come to him often. Now let's talk about this though. Not just often, he wants you to come boldly. So Jesus has given us another story, another illustration. um, And it involves a late hour, a ridiculous request, and a profound inconvenience. He wants, he, he posits a story that honestly, gets too politened up in our English language, and we don't understand how ridiculous this actual story is. The story reads something like this. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So let's just pause right there. How many of you like it when your friends call or text you at midnight? Now, maybe, you know, if you're, if you're young, you still like that. But the older I get, you know, I, I find that midnight is really late, right? And when friends call or text at midnight, you better be asking me something. I mean, there better be a real problem, right? I don't like that. And most of us don't. So this friend comes at midnight and he says, listen, I've got a guest And I need you to lend me three loaves. Now, here's something interesting the scholars are going to point out to you. The kind of loaves they're talking about are not little sandwich buns. A single loaf was a meal for a family. So he's asking for him to say, I don't want just food for myself or food for my guests. So for my family and for my guest family, I want you to give me all of your groceries and your leftovers. I'm asking you to empty your fridge at midnight for me and my guests. Is that not a crazy request? Empty your freezer for you and 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 the friend's going to say what? Don't bother me, <laughs> right? Don't bother me. I'm already in bed. And in and the way that first century Jewish families would live, they would live usually sleeping in a communal room. The kids are sleeping all over mom and dad, you know, and stuff. And he's like, years ago, back, it was a long time ago now, before we had our own kids, we had some friends that had children right before we began having our own Foolishly, as a person who did not have children yet, I went over to my friend's house one night and I rang the doorbell and it was 8 o'clock and they had babies. The looks I got at the door were not pleasant. <laughs> what are you doing ringing the doorbell, right? Parents don't like to be woken up when they have finally got their kids to sleep. So you got a friend coming at midnight, he wants you to empty your fridge, and he's waking up the kids and the whole family. Nobody wants this, right? This is not a good thing. Nobody likes that. And then here's the twist to the story. He actually gives his friend what he asked for. Isn't that a twist? Even though he's not doing it because he's his friend... Jesus says the reason that he gives him the food is because of his impudence. The word there is very rare in the Greek language. It doesn't just mean his boldness or his courage. It's his brazen, foolish, crazy, over-the-top request. It's the fact that it is crazy and big. Okay, I'll give it to you. Now, that's the illustration. That's the story. But here's the explanation. God answers the bold, persistent prayers of His people. So, He doesn't want us just to come to Him often. He wants us to come to Him boldly. So, Jesus gives us this explanation. It's very concise in verse 10. He said, here's the explanation. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, receives finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's the principle. You ask God, God's in the business of answering. You seek God, you will find Him. You are in the business of knocking at the door of God. Guess what? He's going to open doors before you. That's a general principle. And then he applies it specifically to his disciples that he's teaching there. He's asking them to ask boldly. So notice how many times the word you is in that verse right there in verse 9. He says, I tell you ask. So take that personally, right? It's not just to John and Peter and Matthew and the guys that were there. He's saying this to you. He's saying, Donna, Ken, Bill, page, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Not somebody else. This is not a principle for somebody else. It's not for a handful of spiritual people who are really, really get their act together. They've got the right code words dialed in. They pray the really long, lengthy spiritual prayers. You know, it's like some elaborate safe code that you unlatch and then, you know, you do this magic words. No, no, no. He says, I'm telling you to seek. I'm telling you that if you knock, it will be opened to you. Can I ask you, is that how you perceive your God? Is that the way you think of God? Can I give you very quickly seven scriptural reasons why you should pray boldly like this? Okay, here they are. Ask boldly because God is in the business of hearing us. He hears us. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says this, this is the confidence that we have toward him. This is the confidence we have toward God that if we ask anything according to His will, now that is important, all right? But I want us to be careful here. While I want us to avoid on the one hand the idea that if I say, hey God, you said ask, seek, knock, I'm asking for Mercedes-Benz and Learjet, right? That's, That's not what He's talking about. I also want us to avoid this other side of saying, well, then I have to do this really complicated, long, drawn-out work of trying to figure out exactly what God wants before I can ask Him. And we can miss the value of what He's trying to say here. He's saying, as you align your life to Me, you can have confidence that if you ask anything according to My will, He says, He will hear us. God's in the business of hearing you. You've never had an unheard prayer. Never. Not one sincere, godly prayer has ever gone unheard. Here's the second reason. Because God is in the business of being glorified in the earth. He wants to be praised. And prayer, bold prayers, bring us to the place where we can see God do things that only God can do and therefore He gets the glory. Sometimes our prayers don't get answered, folks, because we're not asking for God-sized things. We're asking for things that bring us glory and not God glory. And think about this. Jesus says this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. God is eagerly desiring that his name be renowned throughout the earth. And He wants us to bear fruit. Here's a third reason. He wants us to bear fruit. So you can ask God because He wants people to be drawn to Him, to know Him, delight in Him, encouraged by Him. So He wants your life to bear fruit. And when people see God at work in and through your life, they will be drawn to Him. So Scripture puts it this way. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Every believer has been appointed to go and bear fruit. My friend, uh, Jeremy, who's a, a missionary, works overseas. He's got a tattoo of a giant grizzly bear. This is on his calf. He's got a, bi- a, a grizzly bear and it's holding a pineapple. Bear fruit. Get it? All right. We've been appointed to go and bear fruit. See how that connects to prayer. And that your fruit should abide, it should stay, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. We need to connect our bold prayers to the mission of God in drawing people to Himself. Here's another reason. Ask boldly because Jesus loves it when we agree on the things that make up his glory and his kingdom purposes. Jesus wants believers to come together in prayer. Uh, Darren joined us this morning for prayer. So appreciate him filling in for Varnum and and Varnum's family while they're gone. Um, Pray for Varnum. He's preaching this morning up in the Bay Area. So excited about that for him. I'm sorry, Varnum. Why did I say Varnum? Thank you. You could tell that's a throwback right there. Thank you, Don. Jason. Pray for Jason. He's up in the Bay Area, not Varnum. All right. Um, Pray for him. Uh, But here's the deal. If the two of us agree on earth about anything, on the things that we ask, if we come together seeking and knowing and doing God's will, guess what? It will be done. Jesus loves it when we agree. Here's another reason. We are in the business of crying out boldly to God because He doesn't want us in the business of striving. Did you know that? He wants us to find rest in Him. Have you ever started praying when you finally came to the end of your own efforts? And then you've seen God do things in a matter of minutes or hours or days when it would have taken you forever or never happened. Folks, we need to start with prayer because God wants us in the business of resting in Him. Jesus says this, if you abide or rest in me and my words are resting in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you're in the business of resting in God and His words resting in you, then ask, (laughs) ask boldly and it will be done for you. And by the way, God is not in the business of spoiling your fun. That's a lie from Satan. That's what he told Adam and Eve in the garden, that God was holding out on them, that he was keeping them from the best. No, we can ask boldly because God is in the business of giving us greater joy. Now, sometimes that might mean he says no to something that is evil or unhelpful or something that is even good, but not for this moment because he has something better for us. It's like a parent saying to a child, no, you can't have candy right now because we've got a really great dinner planned for you and I don't want you spoiling your appetite. I've got something better for you, right? Well, he's working for our joy. Jesus says this, Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and that that you will receive that your joy may be full. Don't believe the lies of the world and the distractions and temptations of Satan who say to you that God is against your joy. He is for your joy more than you are for your joy. And he knows more of what will bring you joy than you do. I love how Tim Keller says this. He's like, listen, God is answering your prayers with what you would ask him for if you had his omniscience and his knowledge and you understood how much it would bring you joy. Isn't that true? That's amazing. So here's one more. Ask boldly because He wants us to pursue Him as our great satisfaction. Let me ask you this. What would make you happiest for God to give you? Would it really be if you won the lottery, got the promotion, got that relationship? What if the biggest thing you could ask God for is more of Him? You guys know the old SNL skit, More Cowbell? (laughs) What if the anthem was More Jesus? What if what your soul's really been longing for is Him? And what if you go to Him and say, I don't care what else you give me, but I want more of you. Over and over again, Scripture says things like this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Maybe part of prayer is God's work of redefining our desires into finding our satisfaction, our significance, and our security in Him. Okay, I've given you seven reasons why you should pray boldly. But let me ask you this question. (laughs) Why should God answer your prayers? Why should God answer your prayers? Especially bold, ridiculous, crazy, over-the-top prayers. Why should God do that? Because here's the problem you and I fundamentally have. We are all sinners born in a broken world. Each and every one of us is, in fact, condemned for our sin. That's our reality. So why should God answer the prayers of a group of people who are, according to Scripture, alienated, hostile of mind, and rebels to His will? Maybe the big question we need to ask about praying boldly is, why should God answer that? And what if the answer is found in the person who's telling the story? See, here's the biblical truth, the good news truth. The only reason you get to ask God bold, over-the-top, crazy prayers is because He sent His Son to live the life you ought to have lived, to die an atoning death in your place, to pay the penalty for your sin, to be raised from the grave so that you can have a hope of eternal life in God's presence, to ascend to the right hand of the Father where He now mediates on your behalf interceding as a great priest who has said to you, come to the Father, not because you've earned it, because you've deserved it, because you've been good enough, or because you've unlocked some magic code in prayer. No, come to God, because I have done all that is necessary for you to be present, and I'm inviting you to come to God by His grace. What if that's the answer? Well, it is. It is the answer. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews in so many places. But just take a look here in Hebrews 4, 14. Since we have a great high priest, someone who comes and prays on our behalf and intercedes on our behalf, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize With our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence then, because of Jesus, with confidence, we can draw near to the throne of God's grace so that we can receive not what we deserve, but mercy and find grace, God's undeserved favor and goodness, to help in our time of need. We go bold before God's throne because of Jesus. So when your flesh, the world, and Satan come to you and say, you don't have any business asking God for that good and gracious thing, you know who you are, you know what you've done, and you can say, you are absolutely right. But I get to go anyway because, as Pastor Alistair Begg has said, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. I can come because he invited me. And he washed me with his blood and set me free. And now he wants to invite me to come and have him bring my prayers before his father, And my Father, oh, do you see the difference about why you get to come boldly? So come often, come boldly. One more story that Jesus is going to tell us here. Just so beautiful. (laughs) Find grace and mercy, folks. All right, come expectantly. Come expectantly. Here's the story, the illustration. Uh, And it's so easy if you're a parent, Uh, The illustration is that good parents love to give what they are asked for. Good parents delight in giving. Now, I want to pause and recognize some of you may not have had good parents. None of you had perfect parents. All of your parents were limited by their energy, their backgrounds, their their time, their efforts. They may want to have given you good things, but they may not have been able. Good parents love to give that which they are asked for. So Jesus' story goes like this. And we can find it in Matthew and in Luke. Jesus says, if his son asks him for bread, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? God is not in the business of bait and switch. He's not in the business of saying to you, you're asking for this good thing, but I'm going to give you a bad thing. For years, I didn't have this right in my deep down heart theology. I could teach you this truth, but what I really believed in was a God of broccoli. God didn't give French silk pie. He gave broccoli. Good for you, but not very delightful necessarily. But we need to recognize that is not what Jesus is teaching us about the nature of God. He's not going to switch things out when you ask him for good things and give you something bad. Right? Now, let me just point out, children sometimes do ask for scorpions and snakes. And some kids would rather play with rocks than eat. Good parents know No, you don't stick the rock in your mouth. Let me give you some bread, (laughs) right? But the point of what Jesus is trying to say here in this illustration is that good parents delight to give good things to their children. That's the explanation that he gives. Look in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, and you'll see he explains it. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Now, uh, we have two different accounts. Jesus taught His stories many different times, different crowds. Matthew records Jesus saying this, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? So let's kind of work from a, a lesser to a greater. Jesus delights... God the Father delights in giving us good things. Chief amongst those good things is His Holy Spirit. He's in the business of giving us that which we most need, want, and will satisfy us. So let me ask you, do you come expecting God to give you good things or not? Now, if you were to go home today and somebody were to say to you, hey, you know that, uh, that sweepstakes you signed up for online a few months back? Uh, guess what? You won. You might go, great, I want a house. I want a car. Maybe you bought a lotto ticket and it's like worth 500 million bucks. Tithe. <laughs> More than tithe. <laughs> Give it all away. What if God the Father is giving you something so much bigger? And He's not doing it reluctantly, not half-heartedly, but joyfully. This verse will change your life. Fear not, little flock. It is... Your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How much of the kingdom? All of it. He doesn't want to give you part of His kingdom. He wants to give you all of it. And it's his delight to do so. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come. We're asking for the kingdom of Jesus, not just in the world, but, but to be in it and of it and part of it. We're asking for Jesus' kingdom to come and be amongst and in us. Because we can come expecting God to delight in giving us his kingdom. So we can move upward from good things, the good things that we get on this earth. Yes, ask Jesus to to bless your home, to bless your bank account, to give you a good career, to do those things. None of those are bad things inherently of themselves. There are many good things. And then ask him to give you the Holy Spirit to fill your life and change you by the working of his Spirit. But then ask him to bring the kingdom into your life and to bring his kingdom into the world through you. It's his pleasure to do so. Maybe our expectations are wrong. In fact, here's one of the applications. We need to ask expecting God to actually respond. If you look in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, read that whole verse through. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit To those who ask. To those who ask. You know what James tells us? Maybe the reason we're not changed much by the Holy Spirit, maybe the reason we don't have good things in our lives, maybe the reason we're not seeing much of God's kingdom is we just haven't been asking. Oh, I know, we we like to think that's not true, but really, let me just ask you this. Aside from this morning's prayer time, which many of you attended, and I'm glad for that, how many times this week did you ask for God's kingdom to come in and through your life? In this place, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, during the day? James says, we don't have... Because we don't ask. We don't have because we don't ask. It goes further to say we don't receive because we ask with wrong motives. Right? So let's, let's make that clear. We don't ask rightly. Uh, James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Listen, Jesus is not in the business of expanding your kingdom. He's in the business of expanding His kingdom. He doesn't want to give you something other than or less than His kingdom. He doesn't want to give you a spirit of this world. He wants to give you His spirit. He's going to give you something better. So ask, ask with the right heart and the right motives. Now, there is a qualification here. Faith is required. And we spent all of last week, talking about this, so I'm not going to re-preach that, but just look at Luke 18.8. Jesus culminates this passage with this question. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? He says, after all He's taught, taught about prayer, He says, here's the question I have. Do you believe this? In a sustaining, enduring way. Faith, brothers and sisters, is absolutely essential. James will go on to say this, When we ask, and by the way, James is specifically applying, he says, you don't know what to do, you're in a situation, you lack wisdom, that's applying the truth of God to a situation, you don't know how to live out this, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And then he says, but ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, don't go to God asking him for things you don't believe he's really going to give you. Go to God expecting Him to answer. He may answer in a way that's very different from what you asked. He may give you a wisdom that's very different from earthly wisdom. He may give you a different solution, one that you've never thought of, but He does answer But don't go to God pretending in religious fervor and outlook and trying to look good to others and saying, I'm asking God for this because it was on the prayer list. And then not really expect God to do anything. When we do that, we're double-minded and unstable. We're like the waves tossed about. So brothers and sisters... Maybe the real problem with our prayer lives for some of us is we don't really believe God's going to answer. But faith isn't just essential. Faith is rewarded. It's rewarded. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for those who believe this must, must come to Him and, that, and believe that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Or as it puts it this way, or, or as Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 21, he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Do you believe that the God who sent you his son loves you so much that he will never give you anything less than his best? And he's waiting for you to ask Expecting him to be at work in this world. Now one more thing I want to clarify before we wrap up. Faith must have a focus. Must have an object. I love the television show Ted Lasso. But believing in belief is not biblical theology. I don't want you to have faith in faith itself. Or confidence in confidence alone. Like the sound of music. That's foolishness. Christians have an object for our faith. It's a God who is good, who loves His children, who has the complete ability to answer anything they ask, who knows perfectly all that they need, whose timing is never wrong and who is enacting his kingdom. That is where you place your faith. You put your faith in him. Do you see the difference between believing in him and believing in your own faith? Don't make faith into a lever by which you get to manipulate God. Faith comes to God and says, I don't deserve to be here. And I may not know the right things to ask, but I'm asking for good things. I'm asking for your kingdom. I'm asking for your wisdom. I'm asking for your spirit. I'm asking for your blessing. And I know you will answer because you are a good and holy and righteous God and you've given me your son and you've invited me to be your child. Faith comes to that God. Isaiah 30:18 has something that we need to hear. Sometimes we feel like we're waiting on God. Maybe we are, but maybe He's been waiting on us. Have you ever thought about that? In fact, that's what it says: The Lord is waiting to be gracious to you. And he's exalting himself to show mercy to you. He's a God of justice. He's going to always do that which is right. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So let's go and ask God. Let's pray right now. Father God, forgive us for the times we don't ask often boldly, expectantly, that we don't come to you with the right heart, cleanse us and change us. We ask for your kingdom to come in each of our lives and in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to change us. We're asking for your wisdom to know all that you have set before us. We're asking for your blessing, your provision, your protection and your direction. We're asking for things bigger than we can imagine. We're asking you to do great and mighty things in and through us for your glory. That our lives might bear fruit. That your kingdom will come and you will be exalted on the earth. And the only reason we get to do this is because of Jesus. So we ask in his name, trusting in your grace and mercy. Amen.